Drive Time with Travis Wingfield begins now. Let me check your pulse if you're not fired up. What is up, Dolphins, and welcome to the Drive Time Podcast, part of the Miami Dolphins Podcast Network, covering your team, your Miami Dolphins. How's it going, everybody? I am your host, Travis Wingfield, and I am fired up for this one. We got about 25 minutes with the great Lewis Riddick of ESPN. We're going to run that in its entirety, and then we're going to go ahead and get to the My Cause, My Cleats testimonials here from Bradley Chubb, River Craycraft, Blake Ferguson. I might have a couple of more. We'll find out when we get there. All of that and more from the Baptist Health Studios inside the Baptist Health Training Complex. This is the Drive Time Podcast. ESPN, Monday Night Football, Dolphins and Titans, Lewis Riddick on the call, Lewis Riddick right now on Drive Time. Please join me in giving our guest a warm welcome today from ESPN. You can hear him on the call for Monday Night Football alongside Chris Fowler, Dan Orlovsky, and Laura Rutledge. Lewis Riddick, Lewis, thank you for joining us today. Yeah, not a problem. Thanks for having me. I wanted to start here, Lewis, and you've been adamant that the Dolphins are more than just a flashy team. And I'm wondering what you've seen in terms of the progression of this Dolphins from a physicality standpoint and the run game and how you think that that can serve this team down the critical stretch into the playoffs. Yeah, I think it um, it was very noticeable last week against Washington, like kind of where they're moving to in terms of what they really want this identity of this football team to be. Look, it'll always, the NFL will always be about situational football, third down, red zone, fourth quarter, two-minute chunk plays. I mean, that's really the kind of situations that we all care about. And we know ultimately can flip games in your favor or against you. But I think also one of the things that really separates teams down the stretch in the month of late November and December and January is just how physical you can still play the game and how you can own the line of scrimmage in cold weather, adverse weather conditions, and just simply from a from a mental standpoint, um, you see where like a team like San Francisco, once they get inside your head uh, from a competitive standpoint in terms of like you don't know whether or not you can handle the kind of physical whooping they're putting on you, it really lets makes everything else easier. And I think Miami's starting to do that. I think Miami, you're starting to see the, the the tempo, the pace, the physicalness with which they play is starting to show up. And it showed up last week, I thought, on the offensive line in particular. And I think if they can have their their best five healthy, if they can have Teron healthy, if they can have Liam healthy and Connor's healthy and Robert Hunt's back, you know, he's back and Austin stays that group of five right there can put a hurting on you now with the run game. And I thought Austin Jackson stood out in particular to me because, look, I remember really liking Austin when he was at USC. And I knew that he was very young then when he got drafted. I think believe he was still only 20 years old when he came out, 19 or 20 years old. And then hearing about all the crap that he went through and that Tua went through in terms of, like, maybe having doubt put into his head about whether or not he could really be the kind of pro that he's ultimately turned out to be – just makes me look at him now and look at his performance last week and then see the contract extension they gave him with like almost this like weird sense of pride that these guys are starting to round into form individually and collectively right now in a way that the NFL don't want to see this now. And I, I'm saying I'm saying opponents don't want to see this because yeah. we already know that they can go ahead and flip the game on its head 
an opponent's notice with a pass to Jalen or, or Tyreek. But if they can start owning the line of scrimmage like this, especially in the run game with the way that Raheem runs and the way that Jeff runs, and even Devon, I mean, look, he we saw it at AM and we've seen it already this year. For a smaller guy, you know, in stature, this dude has this ridiculous contact bounce. Julian Hill with the like with the way he's blocking at the point of attack as a Y as a move Y or on the line on the line of scrimmage. Why? Miami Miami is going to be a problem, man. If they can really keep this kind of developmental arc going, which I don't see any reason why they don't, and I th- think Mike Mike will handle it right. And I know I'm going on and on and on about this, but I've I really thought about this and really looked at this. You know, getting ready for this game. If he can get these guys peaking at the right time. There is no reason for me to believe any differently than what I believed at the beginning of the season, which was they will win the East and that they will be a legit uh, contender to represent the AFC in the Super Bowl. I don't see any reason why that doesn't happen. Well, you never have to apologize for going long on that stuff with us here because that's why I wanted to have you on was a little bit more nuanced breakdown of where this team is and where they're going. And you mentioned the offensive line. The last couple of weeks, like you talked about in the Washington game, but the Jets game as well, they had drives in the fourth quarters of both those games where they almost exclusively ran the football and went down the field for touchdowns and asserted their will on the opposition. So we've we've enjoyed watching it down here. You mentioned Austin Jackson, but it it goes beyond him, Lewis, because – you know, Liam Eikenberg's have the be- having the best run of his career right now. Uh, Rob Hunt's a great right guard. Connor Williams ha- does things that I'm not sure there's more than three or four centers in the league that can do what he does. You mentioned Teron Armstead, Kendall Lamb, Keon Smith, Lester Cotton. All these guys have come off the bench and performed. So I'm curious what you think is the secret sauce to pretty much, it doesn't matter what the offensive line combination looks like. You, you mentioned the starting five, which is great to have those guys, but they've been able to plug and play guys consistently down here. What's the reason for that, do you think? Yeah, well, I think it's a number of things. I mean, obviously, you start. Let, let's we'll just start bottom up. All right, these guys individually are wired the right way. They obviously want to improve and they want to buy into this system and improve. Um, number two, obviously, I think outside the coordinators, when you're talking about a staff, offensive line coach is the most important individual coach on a coaching staff and obviously butch barry has done something and been able to connect with these guys in a way that transcends just teaching them plays teaching them footwork teaching them hand placement hat placement finish it it goes beyond that it becomes personal it becomes about personal relationships and clearly if you take it a step further clearly that's something that mike mcdaniel really 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 does believe in and emphasizes in this world of Instant gratification, fantasy football, you either suck or you're an all pro mentality that we have. We forget all this stuff in between. We forget about what incremental improvement really looks like and the value of relationships and connection and synergy and all this other and all the other stuff. And it's it's really kind of annoying, quite honestly, because I think it's kind of dumbed down the evaluation that's going on in terms of football at all levels. There's a lot of people who think they know what they're talking about as far as this game is concerned, and they don't know, quite honestly, pardon my language, but they don't know shit about what they're talking about. <laughs> and this team is the perfect example of it. People are ready to throw Austin Jackson out you know, on his rear end and say, look, you can't play. Hell, there was obviously there were coaches down there in Miami who were ready to do that, and people down there in Miami who were ready to do that to Tua. And the way these guys were jerked around, you know, and when you juxtapose that to what is happening with them now, when you're asked, why is this happening? I think it's the human element. It's the connection that's happening down there on top of the fact that these guys are just very talented. Look, Robert Hunt was kicking people's behinds in college. He showed (laughs) this something new. 
Okay, Connor Williams, you're right. For for a guy who's as big as he is, you're talking about a dude who's 6'5", a guy who has tackle, who played tackle, now he's playing center. Right. I mean, not too many guys can go from playing out on the left side on the on the edge in college and now becoming a guy who you could consider an all-pro caliber center at this point. And I've seen the same things you've seen. And look, and when you when you see a guy like Keon Smith come in for Tehran at left tackle and you're sitting there going, well, who the hell's that guy? And that guy's playing with the same kind of pace and tempo and trying to finish, like just like you see with Austin. And, yeah, you have seen it with Robert Hunt. You have seen Liam, Liam Eichenberg all of a sudden settle in at guard and you're going, okay, this guy was a tackle. He's played center. He can play guard. He played left side, right? Yeah, that, that, the reason why that happens is, one, because these guys are talented, but, two, they believe in what they're being told. And there's that there's that extra like a coach told me that once this fall already you know like football's about finding the inches especially when you're talking about a league that has parity that is that emphasizes parity it's about finding those inches well one of the ways that you find those inches is the human element is the connection is the relationships and Mike really does believe that see some people don't really believe that some people just believe well you're a pro you get paid money so you should automatically just be at your very best every single week. I don't want to hear about your life. I don't want to hear about how you feel. I don't want to hear about whether you like your coach or not. You're getting paid millions of dollars. I'd cut my arm off to do that. It's like, first of all, you're not talented enough to do that. Number two, <laughs> don't even talk to me about that. See, that's the beauty of this football team that I know that's going to be a large part of, besides documenting the game, breaking down the X's and O's, that I know I'm going to emphasize on Monday night is that there's a little something special going on here. And that's why... I sensed it last year in the NFC. I sensed it with a team like like Seattle, although Seattle's in a division, you know, with a behemoth in San Francisco. But, see, San Francisco has that. Right. See, that's why they, not only are they good, but they try to, like, teach you a lesson in physicality every single time they play. And Mike's bringing that, a little bit of that over to Miami. And, man, oh, man, it's kind of exciting. I mean, for us, it's the most exciting thing. And you, you touched on two things that I want to follow up on. I'll start here with with McDaniel. You talk about putting his arm around guys and just the impact of, you know, caring on them and loving on them, how they can, you know, get better performances as a result of that better connection like you talk about there. But what I want to ask you about is in the X's and O's element here and the sequencing of, of building the pass game off the run and really vice versa because he kind of does a, a good job of both of it, I think. I'm curious to get your take on, on how one impacts the other. How does the Dolphins' run game help the pass and the pass game help the run? Yeah, think back to the San Francisco game last year and how D'Amico defended this offense. You could see structurally what they were trying to do. They were they didn't believe at that point that McDaniel would commit to running the running the football, and they wanted to defend the field in the old Bill Bill Belichick way, which makes total sense. Okay, they wanted to defend the field inside out, and they wanted to defend it top down, and make you prove that you were willing to go the hard way. And make you make you prove that one you could capture the line of scrimmage and then go the hard way. So if you saw Dre Greenlaw and um, and um, the Fred, Fred, Fred and these guys were when they were lining up like like if you typically line up at about plus six from the ball, these guys were lining up at like plus seven plus eight, and they were really packing yeah. the middle of the field and saying, "Hey, go ahead and run it. Prove to us that you will, because we'll just try and come downhill and smack it anyway." Well, when you run the football and you go, okay, so you're daring me to do that. Then if you're, if you're telling me, like, you think you're good enough to, like, if we can get Raheem or Devon onto the second level at about four or five yards, you think you can actually tackle these guys in the open field? 
So now that they're able to do that, what happens now is, well, now these linebackers have to come back down. They have to like start coming back down a little bit. Now play action pass works. Now RPOs work because these guys are frozen because they're going, hey, look, I don't want to try and tackle these guys at plus five, plus six from the line of scrimmage when they got a head of steam going on. So now what winds up happening is the second level just gets stretched and it gets opened up. And now all of a sudden, that, then when you when you match that with, well, let's integrate some motion onto this. Let's integrate some of you know tools, you know some of their fancy little ball handling that they do. Let's give them some false keys as far as pullers are concerned. Maybe how Tua reverses out of the all that. Then what happens is everything just starts building off of that simply because of the fact that now you know that you cannot really take a I dare you to run the football type of approach. And when they start running it like they are now, the whole field becomes available for them to attack. And that's what's scary. That's what I would be scared of as a defender with them, that if he's going to commit to doing it and he's okay with doing it, because, you know, look, some offensive coordinators want to show you just how just how good they are with drawing up fancy pass plays. And, look, I, I understand. I'd want to get the ball to Tyreek as much as possible. <laughs> I'd want to throw it to Jalen as much as possible, too. But, man, with the way these guys are coming off the rock now, that's that's set the, for 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 Coach McDaniel, man. That that just makes, I believe, the the possibility possibilities infinite. It's it's a perfect segue to my next question about Tua here because you you incorporate you mentioned Tyreek the vertical stretch right, but all that run game in the outside zone incorporates the horizontal stretch that creates all that spacing like you're talking about there. And who better than Tua Tungabailoa with the mechanics and the operation, just getting the ball out quickly. I'm curious to dive into the why behind why he's able to do that. Like, What is required for Tua from a preparation and skill standpoint to be able to play as fast and on schedule and all these great anticipation rips? What puts him in position to be able to do that? Well, I think, one, his his belief in what... Coach McDaniel is telling him is going to be there if he just executes it in the way in which he implements it, number one. I think there's total trust. So he's not second-guessing how the play is going to ultimately wind up manipulating and affecting the defense. And then obviously there's his own instinctive reaction, ability to react to you know the unscouted looks or rather the unscouted reactions that he gets when they're happening, happening in a moment's notice. So there's trust in the play and how it's drawn up and how it's put in. There's trust in himself and his ability to then go ahead and make adjustments based off of, again, like I said, the unscouted look or the unanticipated look. And then the fact that he's able to be on the same – look, you heard Tyreek and him talking about the fact, you know, the long pass that he had last week, that Tua threw it where it was supposed to be thrown, and Tyreek thought that Tua maybe had thrown it in the wrong spot, but then he looked at the tape and then he realized, hey, you know what, you actually put it in the place that you were supposed to. There's that – that connection, right? So there's that trust also. And then like the last thing as to why he's able to play this quickly, uh, throw the football with this kind of anticipation, like, you know, like I, I know I've seen, like I have numerous examples where I was watching like how they throw these, what I call the bang H, the short posts, whatever you want to call them and how Tua will throw them when the receiver is still like about to hit the break point and, and come inside and look for it. And the ball's long gone. And the window it doesn't even look like the window is there yet. You know who else can do that? You know who else is doing that? Brock Purdy's doing that. On the same routes to Brandon Ayuk, the same things. It's a function of the system because it, you know, because they rep it and rep it and rep it and they get it against the looks that they want. 
and it's trust as far as the quarterback trusting the system. And then it's the individual talent that, you know, that these quarterbacks possess, man. I mean, cause not everybody could do that. Not everybody would be able to put it right there. And I think for Tua, Tua's in his zone right now. Tua believes in himself right now. Tua believes that he can put the ball wherever he needs to put it. And then, again, going back to the run game, with the way that the run game is putting people in conflict, anything that involves any kind of play-action look or any kind of ball-handling where there's the possibility that he could potentially hand the ball off is causing people to freeze for just a second to where now a window goes from here to here. And it just and I can tell you as a defender, there's nothing worse to be in that position. To know that every play, especially as a second level defender, as a linebacker or a down safety, that you're in conflict because you're scared to death. Because you don't want to be out of position against the run. And but at the same time, you know that if I'm out of position against the pass and they hit one of these quick slants or one of these bang eights, as I call them, the Tyreek, he could split you and be out the gate. Next thing you know, he's hitting his head on the goalpost and they're playing the fight song. And it's just not a good, it's not a good thing. So I think all those things are why you're seeing to a play at such a highly, highly uh, efficient level. There was a play last week against Washington where they had split flow action, a jet sweep one way, a, a fake give inside RPO action off the other side. It's a lot for defensive, defensive players to get ready for every single week. Let's go ahead and take a quick break right there. Come back on the other side with my guest today from ESPN, Lewis Riddick on the Drive Time Podcast, brought to you by AutoNation. My guest today, Lewis Riddick of ESPN. Speaking of defense, Lewis, let's go ahead and flip the script there and talk about this Dolphins defense. It's in a, a really good zone right now, just like you mentioned there with Tua Tungavailoa. And nobody gave us more runway on the breakout season for Jalen Phillips than you did this offseason. And before we get to see you guys on Monday night, I just wanted to ask you, you know, what you saw in his game. Because I, I know, Lewis, you only take your emphatic takes to television when you're absolutely convicted in them. What was the cause for your conviction behind number 15 down here in Miami? Well, it goes back to his tape when he was at when he was at Miami when he was in college. Still, he is a um, he is a he's just a fantastic, fantastic athlete. Number one, who plays with the kind of twitch, bend, instinct, power that you ideally would want in a thirty-four outside linebacker or a four-three end. Although you know, you I don't know if you necessarily want to have him in six technique alignments all the time and getting banged on or five technique alignments, getting banged on by tackles and tight ends and stuff like that. But if you keep him on an edge, he has just got absolutely stupid get off flex, the competitive motor. He's got power in his hands. I mean, he, he can do it all. He can drop, he can play in the two point. I mean, what, what, what how many more things do you want me to say? I mean, the, I saw all those <laughs> things when he was at Miami. The only thing that, that stopped Jalen from really reaching his potential or has ever stopped him from really reaching his potential is unfortunately injury. And that's why I have always like I remember going back to his draft, his draft year. I was um, enamored with the dude and thought that he would wind up being the best pass, uh, pass rusher coming out of that draft and thought that he would be a surefire mid first round pick, maybe even higher. And that if he hadn't had the injury history that he had, that he would have gone even higher. So to see him get hurt in that Jets game was just heartbreaking. To see the response of the people, you know, who are playing right now and players before him. I think I saw a, a clip or, or, or a photo of uh, Danny Marino consoling mm -hmm. him. Because Danny, I'm, I was in the game that was in Cleveland. I was in the game, I believe, when Danny 
tore his Achilles in, you know, when I was with the Browns and Miami was up there. So yeah, man, I'm, I'm a, I'm a huge Jalen Phillips fan and just, just how hard he plays and how he runs to the, to the football and look, Van Ginkle plays the same way. They play like every plays their last Bradley's playing kind of like the same way. Um, David Long plays the same way. I mean, these guys are just and, – and Vic has them going, man. He has them going right now. So it's just um, – it's cool. But I'm a big fan of his. I think we all got cheated by him getting hurt. We, we feel the exact same way. I know it's it, – It's such a bummer to see him down. But he's in good spirits around the building here. He's in here getting his, his – uh, you know, the, the surgery, attacking the rehab already, all that fun stuff. So you talk about the front seven there. I want to go back to the back seven because we dropped an all-pro cornerback into the lineup about week eight, and the results have been fantastic since Jalen Ramsey returned to the lineup. No one has scored more than 17 points offensively against this Dolphins team since his return. What does his presence, his implementation into the scheme, what does that do for the Dolphins' defense? Yeah, I mean, well, you've got a guy who's seen it all. You got a guy who has um, played in this style of system, in Vic's system, in a quarters-based system, who understands um, how he's supposed to fit relative to how routes progress down the field in that quarter system. I mean, I grew up in the same basic type of system in Cleveland that, that Saban and Belichick had. He's got versatility to be able to go ahead and move into the star and understand, you know, all the different things that you need to do in there as far as being a part of the run front, matching patterns, playing with physicality, being a good blitzer. So he's got a great uh, database to help Cater out. And you're seeing why, he, I mean, Cater's taking his game to another level too. I mean, he's as fun as hell to watch. And then you've got that dude who, when it comes down to third and four, third and five, and you're saying, okay, look, you may be here. Let's just say you're on the backside of three by one. You have a really good X out here that they know, you know, if we're going to try and pressure them and they're gonna, we're going to show single high, they're probably coming over to you because you're going to be one-on-one. He's like, yeah, okay, well, I dare you to. <laughs> I'm that dude. Okay, I'm 6'2", 208, 210 pounds. And I will absolutely clamp you down. So, and, you know, you know, I mean, Jalen's Jalen, right? There's nobody who's more confident than him. So that just kind of rubs off on everybody else. And the last part, which is not the part that, that is not the part that's lost on me at all, Jalen will still sting you with the way he can hit. So, I don't know. I mean, that, that that's the kind of thing that when you combine him with Xavier and when you combine him with Javon Holland, who's maybe the, one of the most unsung but smoothest athletes in all of football, um, Brandon Jones, look, Brandon Jones will be starting for a lot of football teams, yeah. man. This dude has just got ridiculous middle-of-the-field speed. I'm kind of shocked that he doesn't start. I mean, Nick Needham, I mean, I mean, you just got all, all these dudes have all these – you got all these interchangeable parts, all these guys who have different specialties that, that Vic can work with. And Jalen kind of like – you know, he, he's kind of the dude who probably – who obviously has the biggest resume and probably has the most respect league-wide for what he has done throughout his career – and when you have a guy like that in the secondary, the way he's come back from injury, all that kind of thing, it just kind of makes everyone else kind of raise their level, all right? It just makes everybody else want to kind of match what he's done, what he's still trying to do. And, um, you know, DBs are very, very, um, let's just say they're very prideful people who have a little bit of DV in them too, just like uh, wide receivers do. And when you see a guy, you know, who plays with that kind of flair and that kind of swag that Jalen plays with, you want a little bit of that. You want to play a little bit like that. And so you kind of wind up – like I, I played with a guy who had the ultimate amount of swagger in Deion Sanders. Right. And when you're around dudes like that, 
it rubs off on you. And that's what I think he's what's happening with him. And that that's just again another reason why this football team I think is going like this. McDaniel alludes to both he and Tyreek's impact all the time in terms of the standard they set for how, how to do things. Like there was a play in the fourth quarter of the Washington game where it was like a 30-point game and Washington ran a little toss sweep off the edge and Ramsey popped the guy and put him on the ground on the sideline. Like that physicality, it, it's, it never sleeps with him. I have one more question here for you, Lewis, before I let you out of here. Uh, let's go ahead and talk about the Titans a little bit ahead of this game on Monday night because we talked plenty about the Miami Dolphins here. Where do you think the Titans can most challenge the Dolphins on Monday night? Well, I think... See the the one thing that that if anything worries me a little bit about uh, about Miami, it's it's the depth and the interior on the defensive line. If a team wants to just kind of line up maybe in twelve and and kind of just try and maul you with inside zone or something like that, right? So that's what that's really who Tennessee is. Tennessee is a 12, 13 personnel team that, and even though Derek may not play in this game, and it, you know, and it may um, that'll take away a little bit of their physicality. That's where I think they will try to impose their will in this football game because that's what they're, look, their best at offensive linemen are their interior three. They're young at offensive tackle. It's not really a position where they can really dominate. So they're going to really try If I were them, I try and make this game a between the hashes, between the tackles type of game and really test the depth of Miami's offensive, of Miami's defensive line. Look, Christian is fantastic. Hell, I put that clip on Twitter about him being triple teamed and still making an attack. Yeah. Right? So, but that's why I'd, I'd want to attack. I'd want to see just, you know, just, Zach, how long can you hold up in here? Raekwon, how long, you know, how much do you want it? These linebackers, although, and look, Duke, geez, there's just so many things about this team that I like. Look, Duke Riley, and, and everybody, everybody loves Jerome Baker, and I like Jerome Baker. Did you see much of a drop-off when Duke Riley came in the game? No, you didn't at all. So I like how they defend the middle of the field in the run game, but if I'm Tennessee, I'm doing what we do best, and that's playing the power run game. And then I'm going to get Will Levis and see if, you know, he can hit a big one off of play action, which is really his thing, and get him out on the edge because that's where Will's QBR kind of jumps way up. Get Mm -hmm. him out on the edge, maybe reading half the field, where he becomes a little bit of a run-pass threat, although Will's not the best runner in the world, but he's got a cannon for an arm. That's what I'm doing. I'm running inside, play action, get Will on the perimeter. Because it's not really so much about, well, it's a little bit about maybe what Miami's weakness is. I would want to test the interior of the run defense. But I think for Tennessee, it's about trying to find their identity with this young new quarterback. And that's what he does best, so that's what I'm sticking with. Really good stuff there. Lewis Riddick, ESPN. You can hear him on the Monday night football call for Dolphins and Titans. Lewis, we really appreciate your time today. Thank you, sir. And away he goes. We're going to take one last break right there, come back on the other side, and hear from Bradley Chubb, River Craycraft, and Blake Ferguson about their cause with the cleats they're going to wear on Monday night football. Might have to cut some onions on this one. We'll be back on the other side. Drive Time Podcast, your host, Travis Wingfield, brought to you by AutoNation. Had a chance to catch up with some of the guys in the locker room about the cleats they're going to be wearing on Monday Night Football, and you can find the entirety of these cleats on MiamiDolphins.com for what they look like because I asked every single one of them about the design of the shoe, which for an audio platform, not great, but still I think pretty cool. Let's go ahead and kick it off here with Bradley Chubb. All right, here with Dolphins linebacker Bradley Chubb. Bradley, tell me a little about the cleats you're going to be wearing on Sun- uh, Monday. Monday. Yeah, man, I'm uh, wearing some cleats that support my Chubb Foundation. Uh, me and my brother started it back in 2017, and um, our main our mission statement is to use our 
platform to activate human potential. And we do that through, you know, mentorship programs, uh, tutoring programs, athletic camps and stuff like that. So whatever way we can to let kids know that, uh, you know, sports aren't the only route. There's a lot of other routes to go. And we're just trying to be the catalyst to them finding out something that they like and want to pursue. Do you have any events coming up anytime soon with the foundation? Uh, yeah, so we're actually doing a couple of things for Christmas, uh, going to the Children's Hospital for one of them, and then Boys and Girls Club for another one. Um, and then the next recent thing is probably going to be our, our camps throughout the offseason. Um, we're going to try to do one in March out here in Miami and then in the summer as well. So um, a lot of mentorship programs as well, but it's up in Atlanta. Um, and just doing different things throughout the community, man, trying to be better to the world around us. Just like your locker neighbor here, right? Yeah, exactly. yeah. exactly. Uh, what about the design of the shoes? What all went into that? So uh, I got two two pairs. So the first design was kind of like that space theme um, with the, the, you know what I'm saying, they got the Galaxy and stuff like that, and it has both of my logos on it, like my personal one and the Chum Foundation logo on the other one. Um, and I was going to wear those for pregame. And then in the game, I had a, like a aqua color with the, with the same type concept, not so much the space theme, but just showing off the, uh, the foundation in, in our motto. Good stuff, man. Appreciate it. Yes, sir. Appreciate you. Next, you guys might recall one of the first – player podcast I did back in 2020 was with Blake Ferguson about JDRF, his foundation that he is very much involved with. Let's go ahead and play my sound here from my chat with Blake Ferguson in the Dolphins locker room. All right, Dolphins long snapper Blake Ferguson here, a four years in the making coming back to the podcast here after talking about this with you in 2020. Just tell us about the cleats you're going to be wearing on Monday Night Football. Yeah, it's um, I'm going to be supporting Juvenile Diabetes Research Foundation, um, JDRF, and uh, it's a foundation that I've been involved with since I was, uh, really since I was diagnosed uh, back in 2011 uh, with type 1 diabetes. Honestly, they were the first ones when I was in the hospital that reached out to me and just showed support. Um, they really just said if, you know, if there's anything that you need, any kind of resources that you need, um, education-wise or anything like that, uh, that they were there to help. And so um, since that time, I've wanted to sort of repay that to them um, just by, uh, you know, obviously there's there's a financial aspect to it, but um, really by just giving them the platform that they deserve uh, because of the, you know, how, how willing they were to help me in a time of need. I'll go back and post the podcast from 2020 because yeah. we've already covered all the stuff that, again, your kind of origins of that. Yeah. Really cool stuff. But now I'm curious about the design of these cleats yeah. because these are fresh, man. <laughs> They're looking nice. Tell me about yeah. how that came together. Yeah, you know, it's really cool. Um, you know, for the for the past couple of years, I've, I've wanted to put together um, really a design competition for kids with diabetes who look up to me to be able to, um, you know, know that they're having an impact on uh, the game of football and, and, you know, the the My Cause, My Cleats week. Um, And so what we did was literally just put a template design of of the, you know, cleat style out on the internet, on social media, and said, hey, here is the template, do whatever you want with it. And then I had them send me a photo of themselves Uh, And then also in the email explaining sort of how they're not letting type 1 diabetes hold them back from whatever it is they want to grow up and do. And, um, you know, I I got a ton of, I was very fortunate, I got a ton of responses um, with all kinds of cleat designs. And, you know, honestly, I wish I could wear every single one of them. It was so hard to pick. Um, But these were done by a girl named Quinn. Uh, in Iowa, of all places, um, you know, Gink was Gink was excited to get the get the Iowa shout the out. Rock Valley, I, yeah. Um, and so, you know, she she put a couple things on there. Um, you know, there's a lot of a lot of things that are essential to 
um, you know, living a healthy lifestyle with type one diabetes. And so she put on there um, this, she, she said it was a picture of me and her playing football uh, out in the yard. And then on the inside, um, she put a juice box on there, which is for uh, when you have low blood sugars. Uh, it's obviously very essential. And then the 100 on the on the heel is for um, obviously a, a healthy 100 blood sugar. So, um, you know, I, I was very fortunate that I was able to get some some really cool designs. And um, this is something that I definitely foresee, you know, us doing down the road uh, for years to come. You inspire a whole generation, man. Keep at it. I appreciate it. Thanks, Trav. And then this one here was very difficult. I'm going to warn the listeners that it's a lot of talk about mental health and suicide and things of that nature. River Craycraft went to Washington State, as you guys know, so did I. And uh, a few years ago, quarterback Ryan Helensky took his own life and was on the team with River Craycraft at the time. So River Craycraft's cause is Helensky's hope. And this conversation was difficult for both of us, but I think it's worth talking about me and River Craycraft talking about Helensky's hope. Here with Dolphins wide receiver and WSU legend, River Craycraft. River, you got some cleats that I'm looking at right here in front of me for Monday Night Football. I want you to tell me about the My Cause, My Cleats and what you're supporting here. Yeah, uh, I'm supporting Helensky's hope. I, I do it every year. Um, Tyler Herlinski was a friend and a teammate of mine at uh, Washington State. And um, something that's kind of, you know, close to my heart uh, with their family. And um, I try to do what I can to uh, put their name out there as much as possible and and shine a bright light on Tyler. And um, I think all of us Cougs try to do that for him. So uh, this is one way that we're able to get his name out there floating around. And, and, you know, the whole goal behind Helinski's hope is to change the stigma around, you know, mental health and, and how people look at it and, um, I think having opportunities to, to showcase uh, their foundation or organization is a, this is a great way to do it. How do you feel like this platform, this job, this profession, this team even has kind of helped that role of changing the stigma behind you know mental health and just the, the overall, in, in, a, in an environment where that's not something you typically would think about, mm-hmm. but now in today's NFL it seems a little more prevalent? Yeah, I mean, it's no secret. Uh, football players are, are you know, we're for lack of better terms, you know, alpha males that are very hard-headed and, and don't like to talk about things that are make you vulnerable. And um, I think having Helensky's hope is um, kind of a way to, to get out of that stigma maybe towards the NFL and, and, and be a little more vulnerable and open up about situations. And at the end of the day, we're all people and, and we all deal with things and uh, not everybody knows what everyone's dealing with. So yeah, I think uh, the platform that the NFL has given us with the My Cause, My Cleats is is amazing, and it's allowed me to express, you know, my interest in Helinski's hope every single year. So, and it's a it's a way, like I said earlier, to, to keep Tyler's name afloat. And you know, at the very least, uh, it's important to me. So, uh, I'm glad I'm able to do it. What's something that comes to mind when you first think about Tyler, uh, just as a person? Um, just he's just an all-American person. You know, he's um, he's one of those guys that's you know he always had a smile on his face. Um, you know, a lot of people when when people pass, they talk about people in this way, but uh, you know, I, I truly believe that Tyler was one of those guys who actually had a smile on his face at all times. Um, and everybody knows one person in their life that's like that, and uh, Tyler was was that for me. You know, he was that guy that always had a smile on his face no matter what was going on. And um, that really is the story behind what happened to him and uh, how nobody really knows, but, um, you know, what causes things. But, um, yeah, it's, 
Well, yeah, you mentioned kind of like, you know, it's something that sometimes you can't always see on the surface, right? What would your message be to someone who's either struggling with something or someone that has a friend that maybe they think is struggling and they can kind of reach out to them and help them out? Just speak to somebody. I mean, even if it's self-talk, um, it's, it's very hard to um, trust people and, and talk to people and open up about things. And I'm, I'm lucky enough in my life where I, I do have people, uh, thankfully. But um, it took me a while to get there. And, and unfortunately, it takes things happening, like what happened to Tyler, to finally open yourself up and, and, uh, and, and have some trust in people besides yourselves. And whether that be a, you know, a, a mentor, a, a, a counselor, a therapist, you know, friend, whoever. You know, for me, it's my dad, my wife. You know, it's, you know having the vulnerability to, to open up to people is, is very important in uh, progress. Some stuff is bigger than football, man, like this. I appreciate your time. Yeah, of course. Thanks, man. Again, you can find the entirety of the My Cause, My Cleats initiative up on MiamiDolphins.com. Of course, keep it locked on social for all that as well. No injury report today to get to because we don't have game statuses until Saturday. We'll have that for you guys tomorrow on the old Twitter. In the meantime, that's going to be my time. You all, please be sure to subscribe to the podcast on Apple, on Spotify, wherever you get your podcasts from. Go ahead and leave us a rating, leave us a review. You can follow me on social at Wingfield NFL and the team at Miami Dolphins. Check out the Fish Tank podcast with Seth and Juice, the YouTube channel for the Jalen Ramsey breakdown we just posted either today or over the weekend. I'm not sure yet, but get to YouTube for that. Also, the media availability from all these assistant coaches and, of course, Mike McDaniel, Tua Tungabailoa, all of that. And, of course, Dolphins Today. And last but not least, MiamiDolphins.com. Until next time, fins up, Caroline Cameron, Daddy.